0: This is the second in a series of seven videos preparing for Easter. Passion Tide covers the last two weeks of Lent. It begins with Passion Sunday, that is the fifth Sunday of Lent, there follows Palm Sunday, and it ends on Holy Saturday with the Easter Vigil. During Passion Tide, crucifixes and statues in the churches are veiled in violet. Besides intensifying one's fasting in these last two weeks of Lent, Passion Tide encourages us to repentance, forgiveness, and committing to a new start. There is nothing like contemplating the cross to awaken our repentance. This is movingly written of by Don Prosper Granger in his work The Liturgical Year, which can be found on the Census Fidelium website. If one scrolls down to Lent and then to Passion Tide and Holy Week, he writes that we should listen to Jesus' words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This it is that fills the church with her immense grief. This it is that she proposes to our consideration. For she knows that, if we once rightly understood the sufferings of her Jesus, our attachments to sin must needs be broken. For by sin we make ourselves guilty of the crime we detest in those who killed him. He goes deeper into this in the section on Passion Sunday. Here we read, that this same lamentable conduct is but too often witnessed nowadays in those sinners who, by habitual resistance to the light, end by finding their happiness in sin. Neither should it surprise us that we find in people of our own generation a resemblance to the murderers of our Jesus. The history of his passion will reveal to us many sad secrets of the human heart and its perverse inclinations, for what happened in Jerusalem happened also in every sinner's heart. His heart, according to the saying of St. Paul, is a Calvary where Jesus is crucified. There is the same ingratitude, the same blindness, the same wild madness, with this difference, that the sinner who is enlightened by faith knows him whom he crucifies, whereas the Jews, as the same apostle tells us, knew not the Lord of glory. While therefore we listen to the Gospel which relates the history of the Passion, Let us turn the indignation we feel for the Jews against ourselves and our own sins. Let us weep over the sufferings of our victim, for our sins caused him to suffer and die. For we who believe Jesus is God make of our hearts a calvary to crucify him whenever we choose to sin. And of course this is done in the hope of forgiveness. The Easter vigil was traditionally when the church absolved penitents from grave sins. Learning from the church, Roman law allowed no suits to be heard in the week before and after Easter, except for the freeing of slaves. Even rulers and princes copied this by making amnesties for prisoners, a secular version of absolution. So as the church is ready to forgive, and as the secular state is ready in its way to forgive, for example with amnesties. So, we cannot enter the Easter mysteries if we refuse to forgive. Lent is a time to consider is there anybody you struggle to forgive? Pray for them every day. It could be a short prayer so that they don't trouble your mind, but pray it every day until it comes easily. Then pray it perhaps for them every week, and then perhaps every first Friday or first Saturday. But if ever you find it difficult to pray for someone, that's a sign you have to pray for them every day. And Lent is a time. For us to think of a new start, there's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday, no Easter season without Lent. So we've lived imperfectly, let us look forward to a renewal at Easter. And God rewards sacrifice, so if we make sacrifices through Lent, then we may feel the spiritual rewards in Holy Week. The ceremonies of Passion Week and Holy Week are demanding, but these ceremonies are meant to be exhausting, so that we can better relate to Calvary. Now we will take a closer look at the Mass of Passion Sunday. In his work on the liturgical year, Dom Gouranger desists from translating certain texts of the Mass in order to protect their priestly character. But that these texts are so available to us in the 20th century through hand-missals and through the internet is a blessing which we should receive with the deepest reverence. If you have a pre-1955 hand-missal, that's an excellent source. Otherwise, one could go to the Divino Maficium website. Make sure here that you click on Divino Aflatu. That will give the pre-1955 texts. And here on Ordo, we get the calendar. We can go to April. And the 3rd of April this year is Passion Sunday. And then on the Mass, Dom Goranger tells us, This Sunday is called Passion Sunday because the Church begins on this day to make the sufferings of our Redeemer her chief thought. It is called also Eudica, from the first word of the Introit of the Mass, and again Neomania, that is, the Sunday of the new moon, because it always falls after the new moon, which regulates the Feast of Easter Day. That is, the date of Easter falls on the Sunday following the first full moon, after the spring equinox. The sun and the moon are ready, just as Jesus and Mary were ready. The Introit Eudicame, can be heard here on Corpus Christi Watershed. This is how Holy Mass should sound. The words are taken from Psalm 42. Normally this is recited in the prayers at the foot of the altar, but it is omitted for passion-tide, because the full psalm speaks of joy. But now is a time to focus on sorrow. Tom Goranger writes that the Messiah appeals to God's tribunal and protests against the sentence about to be pronounced against him by men. He likewise expresses his confidence in his father's help who, after his sufferings and death, will lead him in triumph into the holy mount. So every single mass, in fact, should put us in mind of Calvary. Passion Tide is also marked by the veiling of images. We read, everything around us urges us to mourn the images of the saints the very crucifix of our altar are veiled from our sight the church is oppressed with grief during the first four weeks of lent she compassionated her jesus fasting in the desert his coming sufferings and crucifixion and death are now what fill her with anguish we read in today's gospel that the jews threatened to stone the son of man as a blasphemer but his hour is not yet come he is obliged to flee and to hide himself this we can see in the mass of Passion Sunday scrolling down to the gospel from John chapter 8 and when they tried to stone him Jesus hid himself so on Passion Sunday the crucifix is veiled it is to express this deep humiliation that the church veils the cross at God hiding himself that he may evade the anger of men. What a mystery! Is it weakness? Is it that he fears death? No. We shall soon see him going out to meet his enemies, but at present he hides himself from them, because all that has been prophesied regarding him has not been fulfilled. Besides, his death is not to be by stoning, he is to die upon a cross, the tree of malediction which, from that time forward, is to be the tree of life. Let us go back in thought to the sad day of the first sin where Adam and Eve hid themselves because a guilty conscience told them they were naked. Jesus has come to assure us of our being pardoned and lo, he hides himself not because he is naked, he that is to the saints the garb of holiness and immortality, but because he made himself weak that he might make us strong. Our first parents sought to hide themselves from the sight of God. Jesus hides himself from the eyes of men, but it will not be thus for ever. This veiling takes place on the vespers before Passion Sunday. and We read that the presentiment of that awful hour leads the afflicted mother, the church, to veil the image of her Jesus. The cross is hidden from the eyes of the faithful. The statues of the saints, too, are covered, for it is but just that if the glory of the Master be eclipsed, the servant should not appear. On the Thursday of Passion Week, we have a marvellous reading, which speaks of the condition of the church today. It is the prayer of Azariah from the fiery furnace where he is thrown by King Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 3. Azariah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord our God, for your name's sake, do not deliver us up forever. We beseech you or make void your covenant. Do not take away your mercy from us for the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one. To whom you promised to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand of the shore of the sea. We may think here of all the saints who built up the liturgy of the church, and for their sake let us not see it destroyed. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince, prophet or leader, no holocaust, sacrifice, oblation or incense no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. Does this not speak of the condition of the church now that we've been brought low everywhere in the world and because of our sins? We have no prince, that means bishop or prophet as a teacher or leader. No Holocaust sacrifice oblations. Think how the ancient mass is being taken away from so many people. Azarias prayed this while in exile He says, but with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received as though it were holocausts of rams and bullocks or a thousand of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today that it may please you for those who put their trust in you cannot be put to shame. So too, even if the ancient liturgy is taken away from us, we can still make this spiritual connection to God through humiliation, through recognizing and repenting our sin, through begging for God's help. And this spiritual connection with him is more pleasing to him than any offerings of rams and bullocks, even a thousand fat lambs. And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us by your wonders and bring glory to your name, O Lord. Let all those be routed to inflict evils on your servants. Let them be shamed and powerless and their strength broken. Let them know that you alone are the Lord God, glorious over the whole world, O Lord our God. So we can pray for a restoration, for God's glory, so the whole world knows that what he gives us cannot be taken away. It speaks here of evils being afflicted upon your servants, and servants is certainly meant also in a liturgical sense, those who serve the Lord, who worship the Lord. Dom Granger exhorts us to think of those who showed hospitality to Jesus during this period when he hid by night, such as Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So those who maintain devotion to Jesus now, when he is so unwelcome in the public square, do a great service for God, like friends of the family from Bethany. And we should compassionate his mother, who because of her uniquely profound love, suffered like nobody else could. Friday of Passion Week, we remember the seven sorrows of Our Lady. The Introit of the Mass recalls Our Lady standing under the cross. The gradual speaks of a sorrowful and tearful Virgin Mary. The tract also of Our Lady filled with sorrow, with the lamentation acknowledging that there was no one who had any sorrow like her sorrow. And in the sequence, the Stabat Mater Dolorosa is prayed. And the gospel, again, recalls Our Lady standing under the cross. So toward the end of Passion Week, the liturgy presents this remembrance of Our Lady's seven sorrows for our meditation. In the next video, we will consider a preparation for Palm Sunday. God bless you all.